The reading this morning is taken from 1 Kings 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he travelled for forty days and forty nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, He pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then the voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also, anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much. It's quite a long passage, I know. Uh, and of course, we tend, to, we tend to look at Elijah, don't we? And we think of uh, particularly what you, I think you looked at last week was him on the, the top of the mount at Mount Carmel. Uh, bringing down fire on the sacrifice. And we think of this great drama uh, and all things that Elijah is so strong and powerful and mighty for God. And then we see the other side of Elijah, the vulnerable. Let's pray. Father, we do uh, come to you now, vulnerable just like Elijah, Acknowledging our own weaknesses. And so we ask that you would uh, give us something now, teach us something new. That we might leave empowered and emboldened with the Spirit, your Spirit, in our hearts. Amen. So we're continuing with our series of these sort of mountaintop experiences. Although, uh, to be accurate, of course, we don't know whether this was on a top of a mountain or even near the bottom, but it was Mount Horeb uh, in a cave. This, of course, uh, Mount Horeb is sometimes called Mount Sinai. Uh, a lot of commentators think they're actually one and the same place. So this is the place where Moses hit the rock and forth came water. This is the place where he received the Ten Commandments, where Moses himself hid in the cleft of the rock as the presence of God passed by. This is the mountain of God. And on this occasion with Elijah, we are, as we've seen, uh, dealing with the immediate aftermath of that fantastic story uh, and episode where he challenges the prophets of Baal, <coughs> uh, brings down fire on his offering, despite having uh, covered it with copious amounts of water. And uh, uh, so the, the sacrifice is consumed and the prophets of Baal, 450 of them, are put to the sword. And you would think, would you not, fresh from that triumph, he would be absolutely sky high. He would be buzzing. He'd be so excited He'd be so confident in his God. And yet he's not. The the interesting thing is that he meets... uh, Israel at that time had two kings, one in the north, one in the south. Ahab didn't like anything to do with uh, God and Elijah. Obadiah in the south had hidden uh, some of the prophets of God, although uh, we now believe that they had been put to death Elijah had predicted a drought and then the coming rain. And he says to Ahab, the rain is coming. And it comes. So he has this remarkable triumph. His then, his prophecy comes true. And yet, as we go through this journey, we see that people have not turned to God. Look in verse 1. This is Ahab the king who told Jezebel everything. You have to. Jezebel is his wife. So that comes as a given. Ahab tells Jezebel everything. 
But listen, it's everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets. Now what do we see from that? Everything that Elijah had done, he still, Ahab still doesn't think this is anything to do with God. This is what Elijah had done, that pesky little man. He had done it. He had killed the prophets. What you mean the prophets of Baal? They're not the prophets. But that is in Ahab's mind. That is the mind of the world, the people at that time. They had a complete misunderstanding, a misrepresentation, or perhaps it was just willful uh, uh, misinterpretation and a rejection of the truth. Jezebel finds herself confronted. She doesn't like confrontation and people standing up to her. So she issues this decree. Why she does that and why she doesn't just go and kill Elijah without telling him first, I'm not sure. Perhaps because she's concerned and worried that actually it may go wrong. So she gives him this warning, gives him a chance to get away. And Elijah, despite having stood in front of everyone and had this amazing triumph, he runs. I find that so reassuring. He runs. Boy, do I often run. He feels the pressure of being alone. He thinks he's the only person illustrating belief and commitment to God. And how often do we feel like that? In the corner shop, we're the only person talking about God. In our schools, we may be the only person we believe who is really talking about God, standing up for our belief. In our offices, in the hospital in the shops, wherever it is, in our group of friends. We alone feel as though we are speaking for God. And we're embarrassed, we're worried. Perhaps God may let us down. They might find out exactly who I am. And that's terrifying. I'd rather die than admit defeat to all my friends, the embarrassment, the shame, the guilt, if they really knew who I was. And that's how Elijah is feeling. It's extraordinary after this amazing experience that he feels inadequate. And God, of course, doesn't promise an easy life. He just simply promises to be with us in the life that we have. And he knows at this point that Elijah needs help. He needs sustenance first and he needs to be taught a lesson. So, as Elijah lies down uh, and he goes to sleep, he's then woken and he's given food, uh, he's given food and water, bread, uh, or a cake, isn't it, and water. And that happens twice. Boy, I wish I had some of that food. On the strength of that food, he walks 40 days and 40 nights. Woof! That was some food. But is he realising that he's being protected and prepared, even in his sleep? So he runs away. He goes with his servant. And then he leaves his servant behind and goes another day. Then he has this food and water. Then he walks for 40 days and 40 nights. He finds himself on the mountain of God. 
and he hides in a cave or a cleft, who knows. Does he hide? Does he really hide? Can you hide from the power of God, the presence of God? There's this voice he hears. Elijah, what have you done? Why are you here? Tell me again, why are you here? Well, you don't realise. I'm the only one left, I've done all of that for you. I'm the only one left. Surely you can be sorry for me. Ahab is looking for him. Jezebel is hunting him. Do you not realise what I'm going through? Of course God recognises what he's going through. Did he think that he could hide from God? Jeremiah 29, 11 and 12. I know the things I have for you. Things to prosper you and not to harm. That's what he's saying to Elijah. I know the things I have for you. Why are you here? Tell me again. Do you always know what's best for yourself? No. But God does. So we return from our holiday. And tomorrow, the delight of 5.27 is that my alarm will ring and I've got to get up and go to work. That doesn't thrill me just at the moment. Is that the work I should be doing? Actually, being here is much more fun. It's much more satisfying and fulfilling. Is that what God wants for me? I don't know. I don't know. But God does. And so Elijah finds himself on the cave, being challenged. Why are you hiding? And as if he didn't know without asking, it's important for Elijah to say it to himself, to repent, almost out loud, to say why he is there. So God says to him that I'm going to pass by and you're going to come and speak to me. Uh, And the hymn had it the wrong way around, as did my notes actually, but there's a wind first, isn't there? Enormous wind. A wind that shatters the rocks. Amazing drama. Did that just happen? God God made that wind. But it didn't speak. He didn't speak to Elijah through that wind. Then there's an earthquake. He's inside a cave. The rocks have already been falling and he's inside a cave. Did he feel slightly uh, perturbed at that point? What was going to happen? But was God speaking to him? No. Not in the earthquake. And then there's the fire. He's in the middle of the desert, on the side of a mountain. I should have put up a picture of Mount Horeb for you. There is virtually nothing around it, but this massive mountain. And that's where he is. And there's a fire. God is in the fire. But God doesn't speak to Elijah in the fire. Then there's a whisper. Do we always expect God to be dramatic, bold, powerful? Our God is powerful. Be bold, be strong, for the Lord your God is mighty. Absolutely, he is. 
But he's also loving and compassionate. He's caring. He's forgiving. He's graceful. He loves humility. So in that whisper, he says to Elijah, tell me again, why are you here? Don't you realise yet, I'm here because I'm the only one left. They've killed all the other prophets and I'm the only one. I'm the only one that stood up for you. Did you? In which case, go back and do it again. That's what God says. Are you the only one left? Bear in mind, I have saved 7,000. You're not the only one left, Elijah. But I brought you here to teach you a lesson. And that lesson is, you may not always realise how I'm going to speak to you, how I'm going to use you, what I want from you. But whatever it is, I will be with you. I will help you. Do we give God the opportunity to speak to us? Or in our prayers, do we never stop talking? We need to give him time to speak. So we therefore need to listen. There's a lovely, uh, I'll tell you another time, probably on the, the weekend away, about soaking prayer. Prayer when you just do nothing. But listen to somebody else, maybe just music soaking over you. And you wait for God to speak. And he did to me on the retreat, which was a very special moment, uh, but more of that another time. I then turned my thoughts, actually, to Jesus, and I thought, well, we're at a, a communion service here. Did Jesus need the same? And of course he did. How many times does the Bible say that he went away or got up early in the morning, even just before his death on the Mount of Olives, he says to the disciples, wait here, I need to go and pray alone. I need to be alone with my Father. I need the space. I need the quietness. I need to talk to my Father, but then I need to listen and receive. And about this passage, the way Jesus was fed, the way he spent 40 days in the wilderness, the way he was challenged and tempted, the way he heard the voice of God. We see in Christ that he didn't want the pain of death, but that it was needful for our sake. And so he was prepared to follow the path of his father, the path that had been set aside for him. What does God want our life to be? Are we running from him? Or are we prepared to stop and listen and hear the voice of God for our lives. Let's open our eyes to new things. Open our minds to see God in ways that we might not have appreciated before. Through music, through paintings, through other people as they speak to us, through events as they happened. I remember uh, some time ago I was about to speak about the presence of God and I I couldn't have felt further from from God if I'd tried, really. And I was sitting on the side of Lake Windermere and I just said, God, you know, where are you? 
And I looked across the water, and it was autumn. And, and there was the stillness of the water. It was quite early. And all the colours of the trees, all the colours of the rainbow. And I said, that's where you are. God spoke, not in a voice, but just by explaining who he was and all he'd done. I can't know how God is speaking to each one of you. But what this passage from Elijah is saying is that God wants to reach out to us. We're never outside the range of his reach or his provision. So this morning, let us allow God to touch us afresh. Amen.